it, now that we're all nice and comfy, um, if you are able, would you stand for the reading of God's word? Um, today our reading is Luke 19, 28 through 40. And the word of the Lord says, when he said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples and said, go into the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a young donkey tied there, on one on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say this, the Lord has need. So those who were sent left and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the young donkey, its owners said to them, why are you untying the donkey? The Lord needs it, they said. Then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their clothes on the donkey, they helped Jesus get onto it. As he was going along, they were spreading their clothes down on the road. Now, as he came near the path down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud sound for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed be the Lord, blessed be the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if they were silent, the stones would cry out. Will you bow your heads with me? Father God, thank you for this time that we're able to gather together around your word. Father, I, selfishly, God, I, I pray that, that you, you strengthen my voice, God, that you, just for the next couple minutes, God, that you, you give me the power to speak the words that you, you want or our beautiful congregation to, to hear, Father. God, bless this time. Thank you, God. In your heavenly son's name, amen. You may be seated. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, so this, this past week was Christmas, and we got to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And... It's, it's super important to celebrate the birth of Jesus because it's the time that Jesus came down, that he put on flesh, that he became just like us, that he lived with us. But at least personally, it's super easy for me to just leave Jesus in the manger, at least till Easter, and not remember, oh yeah, Jesus became a man. He not only grew up, but he, he lived for 33 years. <clears throat> and that's, that's part of the reason why I love the fact that our church goes through books of the Bible. Because we're able to not just see all of Jesus's life, even though as we're going through Luke, we're getting to do that. But we're getting to see all of the, the stuff that scripture has to say, not just the parts that you know, me and Pastor David, like, it's, it's all of it. And Luke has been awesome to go through this past year, um, at least personally, I won't speak for you guys. But it's been, it's been a blessing. And it's also been fun, because last year, in November, we began Luke. 
And we began in Jerusalem with Zechariah getting a prophecy from an angel saying that John the Baptist would be born to his, his wife Elizabeth. And now we have Jesus, the king, coming to Jerusalem. It's just, it's cool. Like within a, a year, we've come full circle. And it, it's not even done yet. So it's awesome. Um, <clears throat> and it's, it's also, just because it's been four weeks, um, I don't know about you guys, but I don't remember much from four weeks ago. Um, the last that we saw Jesus was he was in Jericho um, talking to Zacchaeus. And the last parable, literally right before our passage that we're in today, Jesus is telling, telling a parable about a king coming back to his land. And in that, that, that parable, he's settling accounts with his servants, um, blessing the faithful servants and punishing the wicked servants. Um, and also dealing with the enemies who were trying to stop his ordination as king. And I don't think that it's a coincidence that verse 28 begins Jesus's triumphant in entry into Jerusalem, the city of the kings. Um, and today I want to focus on, on how Jesus is, is Lord of everything and how that, that should impact the way that we act. So let's begin with, with our first point, the that Jesus, Jesus is Lord, and Jesus is Lord over time. Um, in verse 28, Jesus is drawing near to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, or the other word for it is Olivet. So that's why if it says something different, that's, that's why. Um, on, and what's, what's nifty about this is not even a half a mile away from Bethany, where Jesus is getting close to, is the Garden of Gethsemane. 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 Gethsemane, thank you. Uh, and in a week, Jesus will be there with his disciples, praying to God that if it's possible, that his cup gets taken away from him. And that's only a half mile from where Jesus is right now, on his triumphant entry. And um, verse 29, he sends out two disciples to get a colt um, or um, a donkey, um, depending on which translation you have. Um, and this is, this is important. Um, I am not a horse person. I actually don't like horses. Uh, I'm sorry if that offends you. They poop and it's gross. Um, so I Googled what a colt was because I didn't, I, I just didn't know. Um, and it's a male horse that's under four years old. So Jesus entered Jerusalem on a four-year-old colt, on a four-year-old horse. And that's kind of an important thing because he didn't come on a stallion, 
a big, strong horse, and he didn't come on a war horse full of armor. He came on a young colt. Um, and I think part of this is to show the, the inverted kingdom of God, once again, that it's the weak and lowly that are valued over the powerful and prideful. Um, and also, it's, it's to pay homage to the king returning because David was one of the last, or he was the first, and him and Solomon were the only two kings that would ever enter Jerusalem on a cult. Um, after that, the kings became arrogant and prideful and would always want to be on a stallion or a big horse. But David, being the man after God's own heart, would always ride in on a colt. Once again, showing that Jesus is the one who was promised to be on the throne of David forever. Um, in the following verses, and, and, and continuing until Jesus' death, um, Jesus begins to show us something really really amazing, that he has complete control over all the events that are occurring. Um, and of course, we know that God is, or Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, and everything. But he begins to, to pull back the veil a little bit for our benefit. And he begins to show that he knows things that most people Every person, let me rephrase that, every person would not know. Anyone, there we go, anyone would not know. Um, he knows that this, this donkey, this, this colt will be there. Exactly right where he tells the disciples to go. And not only that, but he also knows that the owners will be nearby. So when the disciples are untying the bride, the, and the owners go, what are you doing he tells them exactly what to say. Which, there's been people who have tried to go, oh, well, Jesus secretly snuck over there and you know, made a deal with this guy. <coughs> Excuse me. I don't see that in scripture. I think that's a load of hogwash. I think you should think that's a load of hogwash as well, but everyone's allowed to their own opinion. Um, but Jesus is showing us that he is his Lord over time. Um, and it's, it's for our benefit because as, as Jesus gets closer and closer to the cross, he gets closer and closer to his death. And it's not a, it's not a nice death. It's the death of traitors and thieves. It's the, the most disgusting death that a first century person could think of. It's the cross. And it looks like Jesus gets, you know, his, his disciples turn on him. And then the Roman, the, the Jews finally capture him. And then the Romans kill him. And if we just look at it, it looks like Jesus just falls into his death. But he doesn't. He knows exactly what's happening at every single time. And he has everything planned out because he's the Lord over time. Um, and the situations that we're in might seem hectic. They might seem crazy. 
uh, we might not know what's going on. Um, and Jesus does, because Jesus is Lord over time. Jesus doesn't just live with us in time. He is outside of time. Um, I got this illustration in seminary, and I loved it, so you guys get it too. Um, when, when we think of time, it's linear. We're born, we live, and we die. But the way that, that God sees time isn't linear. It's more like this, where God can look from, one, from, from any point in time at all times. And that should give us hope <laughs> because Jesus, Jesus doesn't get worried. God doesn't get bent out of shape because something happens. There is no plan B with God. There's just his plan because he's the Lord over time. And that is amazing because nothing takes him over off guard. Um, Jesus is in Jesus is king over all of time and in complete control of it, but he's also the king of all things, which is our second point. Um, Jesus is Lord of all things. Um, as Christians, this seems like an obvious statement that Jesus is you know, Lord over all things. Uh, but this is vital to our religion. This is vital to our beliefs. Um, and this... this the story of the, the disciples getting the, the colt, getting the donkey, reminds us of this. Um, in verse 32, the disciples are commanded, or the disciples go as they're commanded to find the colt. Um, they didn't make excuses. They didn't try to weasel their way out of it. They didn't try to go, oh, well, I don't feel well, so maybe that guy should go do it. They go. Jesus tells them what to do and he, they go. And, and this, this story, this section of the story tends to get glossed over because it's just the disciples running an errand. They're just going to get a, donkey, or a, a colt for Jesus. But it's in scripture. Luke thought this was important enough to write down for us. And I think it has to do with the conversation between the disciples and the owner of the, of the, the cult. Um, in verse 33, as they were untying the cult, its owner asked them, why are you untying the cult? And owner in, in Greek is the same word as Lord and master. So we could, we could also translate that to the cult's Lord asked the disciples, why are you untying this cult? And then the disciples re 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 respond with, the Lord has need of it. It's this, this parallel between the Lord of this one entity, or this one, this one cult, and the Lord, capital T, the Lord. And while the, the owner of this cult has possession of it, he doesn't have, it's not his, 
his cult. At the end of the day, it's the Lord's. Jesus is Lord of all things. Um, before creation, um, the divine logos, the Lord, Jesus, the word, um, created everything through the logos, through the word. Everything was created. Um, and as a member of the Trinity, um, when David writes in Psalm 93 that God knits, all, or knits us together in our mother's wombs, Jesus is a part of that too. Um, he doesn't have to ask for permission for what's already his because he owns it, because he's the Lord of it. But he still gives this owner of the, the, the cult a reason why the disciples need it. Um, in verse 35, we see another offering to Jesus. And it's, it's the disciples laying their outer garments on the colt. And sometimes, because we all have closets with clothes in them, we forget that, that the outer garment was one of the most valuable things to a first century person because clothes weren't easy to come by. Most people would only have one outer garment in their entire life and it'd be full of patches and sews and everything because they could only ever have one. And these disciples are taking them off and putting them on top of this donkey so Jesus doesn't have to ride on it, just on the, the donkey itself. And so Jesus is Lord of all things. They all belong to him. Um, so that leads us to a question. What are you holding on to? What is your master? Um, what makes you angry when it gets taken away from you? Um, are you, like the disciples, willing to give up their most vital possessions for the Lord? Um, remember, Paul in Ephesians 2.10 tells us that God not only knows what is going to happen, but he's also planned good works for us to do. Do you have something that you're letting get in the way of those good works? And if, if we bear the name of Jesus, if we bear the name of Christ as Christians, we should remember that God is not only, the, that Jesus is not only the Lord of time, and of all things, but that we should bow and cry out for him, which leads us to our final point, that if you do not cry out for your Lord, the rocks will. In verses 36 through 40, this is one of the most famous stories in the New Testament. Um, we, we celebrate it every Palm Sunday. This is... This is the triumphant entry of Jesus. And it's the beginning of the Passion Week that will end with Jesus being raised from the dead. Uh, verse 37 reminds us of a very important fact that we, we sometimes forget that while Jesus had his 12 disciples that will become the apostles that the church is founded upon, he had a multitude of 
disciples that followed him. Um, and as they were going, they were praising God because of all that Jesus had done. And I would, I would have loved to be a fly on the wall for that, to see Jesus walking or riding on this colt with the disciples sacrificing their, their coats, their, their most valuable pieces of garment to put on the ground that way as Jesus was going, the cult wasn't getting dirty. And them just bellowing at the top of their lungs as loud as they could go, praises to God because of Jesus. I, if I could just be a fly on the wall, that would be amazing. In, in verse 38, they were singing, they're singing blessings to the king who's come in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to the highest. Um, the reason why this is kind of offset, tabbed over in your Bible is because this is a psalm of ascent. Um, I forgot to, it's, it's Psalm 1826. Um, keep that pinned in the back of your mind because it's going to get kind of ironic in a moment. But they're, they're singing these, this, they're, they're singing psalms to Jesus. They're not just coming up with new songs, but psalms that David wrote. And it's, it's a song of ascent, which is whenever they're going up to the temple. And they're taking Jesus to Jerusalem. It's, it, it, it's so beautiful. And in verse, verse 39, we see a, prop, a, a Pharisee from the crowd tell Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. What are these disciples doing wrong? They're singing psalms to, to God because of Jesus. They're, they're worshiping God, yet the Pharisees who, who get a bad rap from us because Jesus is always telling them about how silly they are, but they were the most um, biblically literate sect of Jews that there were at that time. And they couldn't get it through their thick skulls that these guys were worshiping God because of Jesus. And part of that may have been because they were scared that if the Romans heard this song about a, the king coming, the Romans would come in and destroy Jerusalem, kill them. Um, and the irony of that is the fact that this is the most religious sect of Jews and they were more scared of the Romans than they were of their own God. That they, they feared, they, they feared man, even though God had rescued them throughout the entire Old Testament. It's just a story about how the Israelites would mess up and God would send a redeemer for them to save them. And yet they were so scared that this Pharisee was saying, hey, 
Tell your people to shut up. We don't want to die. Just make them stop. And Jesus' response to them in verse 40 is, is amazing. I've, for the past two weeks, I've just been, been mulling over verse 40 because it's, it's, it can melt your brain. It's so beautiful. If I tell these disciples to be silent, the rocks will cry out. And this, this makes me think of The Magician's Nephew, the first book in the um, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe series, where there's this amazing scene of the great lion Aslan, who is the Jesus figure in the books. And he's, he's prowling around this dark landscape, and he begins to sing. And as he sings, the world of Narnia is created. And, and even in, in Genesis 1, God speaks the world into being. It's almost as if the created world, the inanimate objects that God created for our benefit, know their creator better than we do sometimes. And if we as disciples, as Jesus' disciples are silent, then the very stones will cry out to let people know of God. <laughs> and as much as I would love to hear the rocks cry out, because that would be amazing. I don't want that to ever happen because that means that we as Jesus' church have failed. Because we're, we're called to be courageous in our faith. We're called to cry out for God. We're called to, to tell anyone and everyone that we meet about our faith in Jesus. And it can be scary. We can fear for our lives. But should we fear for our lives? No. Because what's the worst that someone can do to us? They can kill us. To live is Christ, to die is gain. If we die, we get to be with Jesus. And honestly, in our day-to-day -day lives, in middle America, the threat of death isn't very high for us if we share Jesus with people. What we, we tend to be scared of, though, is someone laughing at us, someone mocking us, maybe even someone asking us a question we don't know. But if we don't cry out for our Lord, if we don't tell of his majesty, then the rocks will. I don't want it to end up being like that because we were called with the Great Commission to go make disciples of all nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In Matthew 28. And if we're not doing that, 
can we really bear the name of Christian? So, where have we been this morning? We've, we've seen that Jesus is Lord of time. He's the Lord of all things. And that if you do not call out for your Lord, then the rocks will. Jesus was not, is not simply just a monarch like we see around us. He doesn't just have servants that goes and does stuff for him so he can just sit on his throne and do nothing. He came to earth. He lived like us, but without sin. He died the death that we all deserved. And then he rose from death, victorious, holding the keys of death and Hades in his hand. And now he sits next to the Father. And no matter how wicked you've been, no matter how bad you think you are, you're not too far from the hand of God. You're not too far from Jesus. All you have to do is turn from your sins and follow Jesus. And if you want to talk more about that, you can grab me. If you want to actually be able to understand the person, you can grab one of the elders. Any of us would love to talk to you about that. Um, it's one of our favorite things. Um, yeah. If you'll, you'll bow your heads with me and I'll invite our worship team up to, to say, Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your mercies, God. Thank you. Thank you that Jesus came, that he didn't just stay a baby, but that he grew up, God and that he, he died for our sins, Father. Thank you for that, God. Thank you for the fact that now we're able to be called your, your children, your sons and daughters, Father. God, everything you give us is such a blessing. Thank you for, for it all, God. In your heavenly son's name, amen. Today's benediction is from Jude. The word of the Lord says, Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with the great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority be before all time, now and forever. Amen. Be, go with peace. Thank <laughs> you.